Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building comic stories one page, one panel at a time. On this interview, we are going to have an interview with Mike Speakman, the creator of Space Cops, currently running on Kickstarter. This is Matt, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Noah. Hey there. And our special guest, Mike. Mike, um, since you're our guest, why don't you lead us off with some background about yourself and your comic that's on Kickstarter, Space Cops. Yeah, well, firstly, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, leading on from there, I guess, uh, I've been writing comic books since 2013, uh, which pretty much started off as myself writing a novel and then coming across the medium, which is comic books, and decided, well, I want to try my hand in that instead. It feels like that would be more fun and more my style. Uh, from there, I did a comic book series uh, called Carmen, which I was pretty successful, but I don't think it was 100% in my wheelhouse and in, in the style that I wanted to uh, pursue. So uh, that got put on the back burner, uh, which left me with a lot of time to write other things, which is where Space Cops came in, which uh, is definitely on the other end of the spectrum compared to Carmen. Uh, Carmen was dark and gritty and like a political thriller, whereas Space Cops is pretty much your 90s Saturday morning cartoon. Very cool. Yeah, I'm really liking the art for it that I, can, that I see on your Kickstarter page. Looks like a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it's definitely been fun. No, please, go ahead. Yeah, it's been fun being able to uh, work with various creatives. You know, they've been given the license to be able to write stories that they come up with and have that illustrated. So it was a really interesting time to see how people perceived the characters when they had their own chance with it. So, you know, it gave me the opportunity to see what other people could do with it. So I think that's been the best thing about the Kickstarter. That's awesome. So uh, how did you, uh, how did you uh, find your team uh, for, for this comic? I put a call out uh, just through social media. I just uh, said that this is a plan that I'd like to do. Uh, my publisher was behind the idea, you know, was all for it, said that I could go ahead and do such a thing. So I think it was around September last year. I just started putting it a call out. People started expressing interest. Uh, we had a, like a production group on Facebook where like if you showed interest, like I chucked you in that group and therefore that group was then there so that you could like share ideas, get ideas, um, build up without, I guess the public seeing it, you know? Uh, and it was more just a meeting of sorts. Pretty much people could just post what they wanted to post in regards to it. Uh, obviously like everything, it's easier for people to say, yeah, we'll, we'll be a part of it. And then for them to actually do it, that that's obviously difficult to get everyone. But it was quite surprising how many were actually willing to go ahead with, you know, and keep their promises. You know, they said, oh, we'll do it. And sure enough, they did. 
which is how we ended up with over 40 creators involved with this project. Very cool. That is very cool. And um, what are your inspirations for Space Cops in particular? I'm seeing a lot of great retro science fiction vibes here, but I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. What, what are your inspirations? Yeah, well, 100% that. I think that obviously like sci-fi plays into it a lot. I love being able to uh, play with everything where like in science fiction, like everything can happen. It's not, you know, too much or too hard to believe that, you know, you could have a dragon in space or something like it's like, you know what, that could happen. Um, as far as going retro, I think just more in this day and age, um, okay. you know, there's a lot of like gun violence, you know, happening. Um, so I really didn't want there to be too much like that looked realistic or too relevant to this age. Whereas if they've got, you know, like old little laser pistols that look like they're from like sixties sci-fi, I'm hoping that children can sort of like discern the difference and go, yeah. look, this, this looks like a toy. That looks like the real thing. I really don't want something looking like the real thing being in this project that's going to be in the hands of children. Yeah, so that's, that's a good foresight. I'm oh, sorry, Matt. No, that's okay. So that ties into a question I had. What, um, what challenges are there uh, creating an uh, all-age com- all comic? There's a lot. I think the hardest one that... I had was you don't want to dumb a book down because like children aren't stupid by any means, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you obviously got to make it understandable for their age demographic. So then obviously it comes more down to like wording, how you would like word something and what you would show in a particular panel for them to understand it uh, coherently. But in saying that, doing an all-ages comic then comes, instead of just a kid's comic, doing one for all ages means that, again, you can't, you know, bring it down that only kids can understand it and it's too simple for adults. Mm. So very much like, um, you know, Simpsons now, current Simpsons where, like, they don't really, they're not, off the cuff bad like they used to be where it was like pretty like trivial sort of stuff. Whereas now you can go and watch like Shrek or something. Kids get stuff, adults get stuff Mm -hmm. and everyone walks away understanding the theme of the movie and enjoying whatever parts they enjoyed. Yeah, I think that's a very difficult uh, ground that sometimes people have to to tread. Like you don't want to... You want to challenge kids, but you don't want to talk down to them at the same time because that, that, that'll turn them off. So that's definitely a, uh, a challenging thing to do with an all-age comic. Yeah. I, it's a growing market now because it's, it's, there's not much out there. Yeah. I think in this day and age, I think kids want to be somewhat challenged and I think why certain people don't do as well at school is because they do think that these authority figures and teachers do talk down to them or talk at them and not Mm -hmm. to them where it doesn't have to be the case. Uh, I think that uh, as the human race progresses the way that it does and like the internet is the way it is and TV is the way it is. I think 
kids are understanding things younger and younger. You know, like, you know, a kid now can like turn on an iPad, go to find his favorite game, do all that sort of thing. And it's like that technology didn't exist when I was a kid. And these kids are doing it so quick and they know how to like Google stuff. They learn how to like get onto YouTube. And so while it's, it's great to see that understanding is growing with children, it also becomes very dangerous too. Hmm. Yeah. Got to watch out for that sensitivity. Yep. Yeah. And um, what are your comic inspirations when you're starting a, a, a book like this? Are you, um, is there a certain comic that you want to emulate with this that like you have a memory, good memory growing up reading, like that you want to try to give a kid a similar experience with your comic? At the beginning, there was a fair bit of um, like uh, Invader Zim uh, inspiration. Ooh, yeah. um, we did a previous book called Serial Zombies, uh, where the artist himself was a huge Invader Zim, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac fan. So his artwork is, you know, very tightly interlinked with both those titles. Uh, but for me, it wasn't so much a comic. In fact, I tried really hard to stay away from sci-fi comics while I was writing it, purely for the fact that I didn't want to unknowingly steal other people's ideas, pretty much. I didn't mm -hmm. want to go, oh, that's a good idea, and then take it, and then realise, oh, wait, I read that in, you know, Adventure Time issue 38. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so it was more... I was reading more about the placement in like gag comics and how they like time their panels so that when I did offer a short story that's four pages or two pages that it has the story from start, you know, middle and finish and made sense. So it was, yeah, like reading a lot of like sketch comics, old you know, Calvin and Hobbes and stuff like that. But then also just watching a whole lot of like nineties cartoons, which is always great. Very cool. So earlier you had said that uh, you have, you've written some novels um, uh, prior to this comic work. What are, what are some of the differences you see um, in writing a novel and, and, and writing a comic? It's mostly, at least for me, it was more of a descriptive matter. I mean, in when you're reading a novel, it, you know, it just has text on a page. So mm. you've got to describe the house that they're walking into or the clothes that a person's wearing so that the reader has some sort of understanding of what a character will look like or an environment will look like. Whereas in a comic, you illustrate the environment or the character and that way they get the description by actually seeing it. So it ends up being, I think that there's challenges in both ways. I think a novel is good because you have more of a control on pacing. I think that you write however you write, you can edit things out and then it can change the story for better or worse, but you can, you have that opportunity. Whereas in a single comic book panel, you know, you can't have a character do three things at once. 
you know, you can't say, oh, in panel one, the character walks across the room and uh, picks up a coffee and drinks it. Like, it's like, well, that doesn't happen in three mm-hmm. panels. That that would happen, you know, in however many. So, uh, yeah, I think the difference is, is that is comic in comics, you have to show in panels the important things that happen. Like, if it's important, a single panel has to show it. Whereas in novels, you have to be more descriptive from the very beginning. Very cool. Yeah, I'm actually trying to um, work my way through a novel uh, right now and uh, while working on comic pages every day. And uh, I find that I'm able to uh, sit down and sort of think directly uh, in a comic page and just sort of like nail out the beats. But then when I sit down to sort of write a prose uh, work, I'm just sort of like struggling to do like you said all the descriptions and uh, and fill it in where where with the comic uh that's that's a lot less work that i have to do so i agree with you on those points and mike would you say that your approach to the writing process is the same for both like even in a comics do you like write in prose first and then break it down into a script or are you more thinking about it like writing it as a script as you write the story uh, yeah, it's very much, I learned a technique that a, an author, Ryan K. Lindsay taught me. So he, he's an Australian comic book writer who has done work with some DC and Black Mask and such and has done great work. And he's just a really helpful guy. And he taught me the magic, which is uh, page by page breakdown. So you know, make dot points of what you want to get across in a story and then break it down as to, like, what would be on each page so that by the end of the story, you know how many pages it's roughly going to be. Uh, So it was very similar in the way of going, I start each story now with just all of the important events and topics that the story has to touch, whether it be a comic or a prose story. And then from there I expand upon it. If I, if I'm doing a prose story, I'll then go into like the little like niche bits where I hit on extra little bits that expand upon whatever that bullet point was. Whereas in when I'm doing comics, when I'm expanding across these bullet points, I'm also going, like imagining what that panel will look like, like what that would show. And maybe I start even thumbnailing it and I can't illustrate to save my life. So these thumbnails are pretty bad. That's really interesting. What's the, um, so this is a completely random question, but you know, obviously you're Australian, (laughs) but um, uh, what's the comics community like in Australia? It's mostly good. I mean, like overall, like it's, it's small. It's a small community. Like the fact of the matter is like pretty much the amount of comic book stores in all of Australia. And even if we include New Zealand, like our neighbors, New Zealand, uh, all of those stores combined, probably there's still a lower number than any amount of stores in any state of America. So And then on top of that, not every store 
is going to pick up a local Australian book unless it's got, you know, Marvel or DC or image written across it. So again, the market then becomes smaller. As far as the community, like it's mostly good. Uh, I think with every community, there's a couple of, you know, toxic points. But overall, like it's a good, strong community. A lot of people are out to like support each other. But yeah, we're just, we're a little rock in a big pond. And so it makes it, it's difficult, which is why a lot of us try and expand our markets overseas into America, where I would say overall it's more accepted. That's interesting. Is there a, so are there any conventions out there that you would be able to sell this book at? Yeah, so we've got, at the moment, there's two main uh, conventions, only two. There used to be a couple more, but the ones that sort of go to each state here, uh, we have one that's called Oz Comic Con. That's probably the biggest. Uh, so that happens to hit Melbourne, Sydney, uh, Perth, Brisbane and Adelaide. And then we have uh, Supernova Expo, which uh, is is probably just as big or a little bit smaller. And then from there, it's you get a lot of indie Comic Cons. So, like, people have put together their own. They'll, like, hire out, like, a town hall in a suburb or a state. And, and go from there. That's awesome. So what are some of the challenges to having uh, 40 plus uh, creators on, on one book? Deadlines. <laughs> Deadlines is the, like probably the hardest thing about it. And then uh, you, you have to tell people, I guess like the guidelines of like, how their pages should be, like what sizes and dimensions to use with their pages. And then when you end up getting the final product, you find out that, well, that they haven't really abided by that. So then it's more editing work for the publisher. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's it. And I think that was the two hardest things is making sure that the final product is up to scratch with what we need to make a book. Mm -hmm. and then the other thing was just making sure that they meet deadlines and it's hard because there's people from over 10 different countries in this book no one's deadlines and no, like no one's like time zones match up mm -hmm. so we had to be a little bit lenient and say look we're doing it by this time it actually means that you've got this time and that that was it and then it actually was a little bit of a blessing. We were aiming for a certain page uh, limit. And then my publisher, Behemoth Comics, turned around and they said, stuff it, do what you want. As big as you can get this book or as many people as you can get in it, let's do it. Let's not stick to the thing. Let's just try and make it a bigger book. So then I turned around again for a second time reached out to some friends and were just like, well, if you want to do a pinup or a piece of art for it, go ahead. We'll chuck it in the book. So, but yeah, I think overall I'd say deadlines by far the hardest thing. 
Understandable. And so uh, with this publisher, um, did you find them or did, did they find you? It was a little bit of both. I think I found them through another Kickstarter campaign that they were doing uh, and I was astounded by the work that they had on board and as a company, even though they're relatively new compared to other publishers, in a short amount of time they had worked with some pretty big names and had pretty big ideas and had a lot of like street smarts with what they wanted to achieve. And I don't think I had really spoken to anyone that was that switched on and had such a strong goal that soon into a company that I was like, whoa. And I just started talking to them because they were offering things on Kickstarters that I hadn't seen before, like doing a comic book that had its own soda flavor, you know, and like if you backed it at a certain thing, you got a bottle of this soda and, I spoke to them and they said, yeah, we marketed it. Like this soda company made this flavor for Hmm. this book. And I was just like, whoa, like that's such a cool idea. And they were getting like backpacks made and cassette tapes with soundtracks on it. And just sort of pushing the, pushing the limits more. So I reached out to them. I was just like, look, love your stuff. They pretty much turned around and said the same thing. And I jokingly just said to them, I said, it's open for pickup. Like this has no publisher at the moment. Like if if you're keen on it, I said, it's mostly had a, an Australian release. I said, not many people outside of Australia had picked it up yet. It's yours if you want it. And I think they, they, there's two people in particular there that run the company and they spoke to each other and, I didn't expect an answer as quick as I got it. And I think like the next day they came back to me and was pretty much like, if you're serious with that and that you're serious with offering your book up, we'll take it. And it all went from there. And so do they handle a lot of the, uh, like, uh, the materials that are on Kickstarter? Are you, uh, like, are you like in the weeds, like with all of that, or is that just sort of like turned over to them? A little bit of both. Like they they handle it overall. They handle it uh, and they run the Kickstarter and handle, I guess, the books, the printing, everything. But they ask for my input, so mm-hmm. they gave me the Kickstarter campaign like before it went live. Mm-hmm. They asked me to like check it out. Go, oh yeah, like does that suit all that? And then I came up with ideas, like a lot of the reward tiers were ideas that I got from their previous ones and just other successful Kickstarter campaigns that I'd seen. So I gave them that, gave them the information and they went with the rest of it. And it's really daunting. And I think it's even more stressful. The fact that I don't have access to the Kickstarter, like I'm not seeing the numbers as they come in. I'm not seeing who the backers are. I don't get to see that. Like, so I'm going in just as blind as anyone looking at the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then this will be the first time. So prior to this, the Kickstarters I've run, I've literally run out of my house. So, you know, when the books have been printed, they've been shipped to my house and then 
I've had A4 envelopes that I've put cardboard in and I've done the shipping. You know, mm. I go to the post office and drop these books off. Uh, and then, so that's all I've ever known. And they're using this program called Backer Kit. Yeah. Which I think is like a fulfillment warehouse. And so it's just kind of, it's scary because you wipe your hands clean of that responsibility. But then at the same time, if anything goes wrong, a backer will still come to us to go, oh, I don't have my books when it then is no longer in our control. So that's scary. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, so how did, so you had said earlier that they're running everything, but uh, I'm just guessing as somebody who's run two Kickstarters myself, uh, I'm sure you're checking the numbers. How do you, uh, how do you sort of maintain your, your sanity um, looking at the numbers without being directly involved as somebody who might have launched it themselves? I think it actually makes it a little bit easier in that sense that I'm not running it. Mm -hmm. I think uh, that I'm not getting notifications every time someone backs it. Uh, and so that makes, cause I used to do it that I would run. If I got a notification, I'd go quickly go and check and have a look and like see it what it's at. Mm -hmm. Now I try and limit myself to looking at the campaign once in the morning and once at night and try and uh, limit myself to that. Uh, and then I'm just trying to do the best I can with plugging it mm -hmm. without trying to annoy anyone. And so that at the end of the campaign, um, if it, let's just say by any means it fails, I want to be able to go, look, I gave it my best shot. I did everything I can. I'd much rather be able to say that than if it were to fail and I go, oh, what if I would have done this or if I would have done this? I don't want to leave any t stone unturned. So I think it's a little bit of a blessing that I don't have access to the Kickstarter because it means that I just have to plug it as hard as I can and that's the only job I have in the whole like, campaign is just mm -hmm. trying to get it out to as many eyes as possible. And so that's what I'll do. Yeah. So do you have like a strategy? Are you trying to um, like say like three times a day hit like each, each uh, social media platform or are you just sort of uh, when you're thinking about it, like you're like, you know, let's get a tweet out. Let's get a Facebook post out. Uh, do you have a strategy there? Yeah. So I've got on Facebook, I have some scheduled posts uh, ready. Uh, mm -hmm. a lot of them are just like funny little memes and stuff like that, along with like a Kickstarter link. I want to keep things relevant to anyone looking. So any demographic, like a teenage kid knows what a meme is, an adult knows what a meme is. Mm -hmm. And it's just a little bit of fun. It's not all serious and it's not us directly going, give us your money. I don't mm -hmm. want to be that guy. I don't want sure. to be a used car salesman. Um, so they go out every couple of days on, on Facebook. Uh, generally in like US time. So it goes off like it will send at like midnight mm -hmm. uh, in Australian time, but that's like during the day in the US and or like, so I'm trying to do that. And then I deliberately will post something very similar, if not the same on Instagram and Twitter, but at different times. 
Okay. So it's sort of like a wave each one. Like if one goes off at midnight, I might send the Instagram one out at like 8 a.m. and then the Twitter one out at like 3 p.m. sort of thing so that I hit it at different times in different waves, hoping that I will find like a market that's awake at any mm-hmm. one of those times. Uh, and then I'm staying in constant contact with the people in the anthology group because, you know, it's my hope that they're going to share it as much as I do and because it's their work that they should be passionate about. So I often have posts that I put in there with like an idea on how they can promote the thing for that day. Go, how about you, you know, post a work in progress page, you know, like pencils or inks of a page, discuss a little bit about what's going on in that page, why you decided certain things along with a link. And then Mm -hmm. it might be tomorrow, post the video of you talking about your story. And then the next day, you know, anything like that. So they're changing things up with what they're doing. Uh, I'm changing things up with what I'm doing and just trying really hard not to annoy people. Yeah. That's, that's the, uh, that's the tricky thing. Like uh, you want to, you want it out there, but you don't want to be, you don't want to be the guy that like nobody heard from for, uh, you know, six, eight months. And then all of a sudden your Kickstarter is, is live. And now you're, now you're Mr. Friendly and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're hitting everybody all the time. So that is definitely a, a tricky thing. Um, I do have a question um, about uh, some of your earlier Kickstarters, uh, the ones that you were handling yourself. Um, how do you handle uh, the, the shipping uh, being in Australia? Uh, do you only, do you only ship uh, like physical products to certain areas and digital products to, to other areas or, or how do you handle that? I guess I do things a little bit different to some people, you know, not to discredit anyone running a Kickstarter. Obviously they're difficult at the best of times, but um, with each of my Kickstarters, I've gone in with money put aside. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't expect people to put money out for something that I'm not willing to put money out for as well. So, uh, with the first space cops Kickstarter, the art had been paid off. Uh, luckily the, the artist was very generous and let me pretty much do a payment plan to pay this art off over time, which was great. Um, but then I had money put aside in case of an emergency. So when it came to offering shipping and where I was doing it, I decided to ship everywhere and anywhere that Mm -hmm. wanted it. I worked out like a sort of rough price of like what it would cost for most places Mm -hmm. and then decided like a sort of like a strict price. So like in Australia, let's just say it costs $5 for shipping. I then made it that, everywhere else costs $10 for shipping. Mm-hmm. So I put that in there. Obviously that's generally not the case. And in the long run, if someone from America backs an Australian Kickstarter, they're going to pay less than if I were to back an American one, purely for the fact that the American dollar is stronger than the Australian dollar. So 
if I sell a book for $10 Australian on, on Kickstarter, it probably works out to be like $7 American, mm-hmm. you know? So there's that. But because I had that bumper money put aside, when it came to shipping, yeah, like I'll admit, like I was out a little bit of money for shipping, but the Kickstarter afforded to help pay off the artists. It paid for the majority of shipping. So in the long run, I was less out of pocket than I would have been if I paid for everything myself up front. So I paid for that and I found it worthwhile to do what I could to get the story out to wherever they're willing to buy it. So I just said, yep, ship everywhere and I'll deal with the consequences when they're, when I have to ship it. Yeah. Um, I'm in a very similar, uh, position. Uh, my first Kickstarter, I, uh, I sort of took those general numbers like you did. Um, and then went to the post office, uh, sometimes being close to those numbers and sometimes not being close to those numbers and just being like, Oh, well, this is, that's, that's the, that's the cost of, uh, doing business to get this ship. So I'm going to have to uh, go a little bit of out of pocket there. So I can understand that as well. Yeah, absolutely. You never know a hundred percent how something's going to go until you do it. And the way that I see it is Kickstarter overall can make it that a comic costs more than it should. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you're selling a $5 comic and if you buy it on Kickstarter, it costs, you know, uh, an extra 10 or $15 to ship it. Mm-hmm. This person's basically paying $20 for a comic, you know, and you wouldn't really spend $20 on a single issue comic on a shelf at a store. You'd go, why $20, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So when they turn around and say like, uh, they're willing to pay for that shipping and it goes a bit over. That's when I feel okay with spending money out of my own pocket to make sure that they get this book that they've already over what well, technically overpaid for. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, so I have a question. I'm looking at the, the Kickstarter page here and you have, um, you have some artwork from, um, Billy Martin, who is, uh, one of the or the guitar player in Good Charlotte. Um, how did that connection come come together? Yeah, it was it was actually pretty standard where that came around, which was my publisher said for me to make a list of potential cover artists who I wanted to go to. And they said that they'll get in contact with people based on budget. You know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, cover artists can be rightfully expensive, you know, which, you know, it's not to say that anyone's not worth the money that they charge. But when you've got a publisher that you've got to answer to and it's got to fit within their budget, Mm -hmm. then you go, oh, okay. So it was always something to do with within budget. But at the same time, I wasn't willing to necessarily sacrifice art for the budget. I had often toyed with the idea with them that if it went over what their budget was worth, would they be okay if I paid the difference? And Mm -hmm. they always said yes, like that could happen. But 
as I was going through the list and talking to various people, getting like getting the budget and seeing what that'd be and everything. Um, I stumbled across Billy's work. I remember him doing some work uh, and I saw his X-Men covers and stuff. And I thought, Oh, I wonder how easily he is to contact. Like if it's, if it's going to be easy and how much he would charge. He's, he's almost exclusively like a cover artist. Uh, he does a lot of covers for Marvel, like variants and stuff. Uh, and for my little pony. Mm-hmm. And so I just reached out. I thought it doesn't hurt to reach out. I found his email address. I was like, Hey man, like love your work that you're doing out of, you know, curiosity, what's your page rates for a cover? Um, and then I left it at that. I sent it never really knew like when or where I'd hear from Billy and how long I'd have to wait. It was less than a week and he came back to me and he asked a little bit more about the project. He wanted to have an idea of what he was getting into before he said yes or no. I sent him some stuff and he was just like really eager, I guess, to do some like indie work uh, outside of his own work. And he turned around and was like, yeah, I love the idea. I love the concepts. The characters look fun. I'll do it and came back with a price, which was within our budget. Uh, I was talking to one of my publishers and they, so there's two co-founders at behemoth Mm -hmm. and generally to make, like to make a decision, they both have to agree. So I talked to one and normally it's like, Oh yeah, I'll have to run it past the other and I'll get you an answer. This time round, like when I said, oh, look, Billy's got back to us. He wants to do the cover. This is how much he charges. The, the publisher that I was talking to turned around and said, book him in. I'll talk the other one into it. Like cool. <laughs> didn't, didn't even wait to get an answer from him, like knew that it was going to be the case and just said, you book him and I'll handle the other one. And that was it. Very cool. And if you want a if you want a sort of quick uh, story about how small the world can be, um, I'm actually from the same hometown as the the guys from from Good Charlotte. So that's 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 pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, I never thought that I would, you know, like I grew up, you know, in like the pop punk phase. You know, I listen to like a lot of like punk and hardcore and metal now, but like growing up in like my early teens and everything like lifestyles was coming out and everything then was like different. So if I would have talked to 12 year old me and said mm-hmm. that, you know, like another like 18 plus years or whatever that I'd be doing this. Yeah. It's insane. Very cool. So, um, looking at the Kickstarter, you guys are at about what, about 60%, um, funded with about uh three weeks to go so do you have any uh any final thoughts or any sort of uh any sort of things you want to tell anybody who would be listening about the about the kickstarter yeah i guess look for this podcast i'll be like really transparent um i set myself 
some personal goals, you know, mm-hmm. that just I wanted to tackle and like achieve, like for me to be like happy with the campaign. So uh, the two goals that I set uh, was I'd love for the project to become one of those projects we love on mm-hmm. Kickstarter. Like that's always cool. That badge looks awesome. Uh, and it'd be cool to have it. So that was one of them. The other goal is I've always wanted to do a Kickstarter campaign that hits like 100 plus backers. Very I want cool. to see it hit triple digits and go from there. So that's it. Like I'm putting that out there that that's my goals. That's what I'd like to see happen with it. Obviously goals can be achieved under that, but that would be cool. So anyone out there, like just check it out. There's, 40 of us that have just been really passionate about this project. We've worked long and hard. Like I said, we've been working on this since September last year, uh, putting it all together. This book is basically complete. There's not a whole lot. We're doing mostly just design and layout, for like mm-hmm. actually putting the book together. Uh, we do have writer extraordinaire Pat Shand, uh, who has written Charmed and Robin Hood and, uh, the Marvel novels, as well as his own creator own stuff, Destiny New York and Clonsters and Breathless, um, which, you know, he's done everything for pretty much every publisher out there. He's doing the introduction, so that's really cool. So if this gets funded, you can see his, his way with words. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a huge fan of, like, rap and hip-hop, so maybe if this gets funded... We can see him drop a couple of bars in his introduction. <laughs> he likes to <laughs> rap a little bit. So maybe that's a bonus incentive for people. But, yeah, look, I, without sounding biased and cocky, I have never worked with a more passionate bunch of people on a project. These stories, as I was getting them in, were, like, getting me, like, teary-eyed, like, everything like this. I have not believed in a project more than this one now. And to be a sob story, I guess, if this project were to not hit its goal, I will have felt like I've failed 39 other people. You know? uh-huh. So I don't want that to happen. So, look, if you've got kids, if you like uh, funny, easy to read, like just fun, get on Kickstarter find space cops origins check it out there's various bundles that have t-shirts pins hardcover versions of the book uh and obviously if we hit the goal then we can release some stretch goals which uh that i've been working on they're pretty sweet yeah very cool and we will definitely um link the the kickstarter and our show notes and promote it on our stuff um and related to that why don't you let everybody know where they can find you online um so they can see some of this stuff and be exposed to the the art and uh your promotions for this kickstarter yes so space cops is at space cops so with a z at the end instead of an s Mm -hmm. on all social media Uh, We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All of them are regularly updated. If I go against my publisher's wants and needs, I'll be sneaky and say that if you want just a 
a cheap free story that uh, you can read. Serial Zombies is on a website called Tapas, which is for web comics. So if you look up Space Cops with a Z on Tapas, you can read some Space Cops for free. But don't tell my publishers that I sent you there. <laughs> oh, no problem. Uh, sometimes that, uh, that 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 offer of free is what you need to to pull people in. So I, I think that's going to do it for us. Unless you have any any last comments or any last thoughts you want to want to give the the podcast. Well, I mean, I guess the last thing that I'd say is like everyone should check out the other contributors' their comics. They all have comics, so like. If you do back it, check out their names, mm-hmm. Google them, find them on Instagram, do all that. They all are extremely talented, uh, some of which this is their first ever comic that they've done, so that's exciting. Mm-hmm. And then ov- obviously everyone should check out your comic, Matt. So <laughs> there's always oh, thank that. You. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so in our show notes, um, we are going to, to, to list the, the link to your Kickstarter and your social media um, so that anybody listening can, can click and see that. So, but I also appreciate you uh, giving me the plug there. Um, so while I'm mentioning that, um, we are on Twitter. We are on Twitter as at ConstructComPod. We're on Instagram at Constructing Comics Pod, and we're on Facebook at Facebook forward slash, or I'm sorry, Facebook.com forward slash Constructing Comics. And when this episode goes up, we're going to give some some preview image of the 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 space cop space cops comic. Um, and I'm a backer of this Kickstarter, and I think everybody else should check it out and be a backer if if they're so inclined. Um, so I'd like to thank everybody for listening to the episode and we will be back, uh, very soon with another episode. So Mike, if you'd like to, uh, sign off by saying goodbye to everybody, uh, we'll, we'll close it out here. Yeah. Well, again, thanks for having me on the podcast. Thanks for everyone that's listening to this and extra thanks to anyone that listens to this and then backs the Kickstarter. I'd love to hear from all of you, but yeah, catch you later. Awesome. Thank you.